I got to talk with Ronnie a couple times throughout the week to get to hear uh, just about the word that he shared last week. And it's cool how how much God kind of shows up and weaves things in. Because I did talk to Ronnie and told him a little bit about where we were and the things that we were going through in Scripture. But it's not like I told him, you know, and preached this message for me. But what, what Ronnie shared last week is kind of a perfect gateway to where we're going today. Because uh, we're going to pick back up in Exodus next week. But today, I was planning on just kind of refreshing us on, man, what is our purpose? What's our direction? What's our focus here as a church? And it was, it was so cool to hear Ronnie kind of tee that up for me. Because uh, if you remember, Ronnie said last week, he was talking about making lasting change. Right, so what, what should we do as Christians to make lasting change in our lives? And he made this comment at the beginning of his sermon, which I was like, thank you, Ronnie. He, he, he caught it even though I never even said it to him. He said, the strength of who you are as a church is affected by you, the individual, personally. And I was like, thank you, Ronnie. Yes, that is, that is what I have been. Hopefully you guys have heard that from me several times over the past six months. But this, this really is why we've been in this vision process, right? That, that as we talk about what do we see in scripture for us to do as a church, it's not really just for the church to do, right? All this thing about making disciples and being submitted to Christ, like it's, it's good and it's proper and it's right for us to do that as a church, but we don't do that as a church unless we're doing it ourselves. And so this morning, as we're kind of reminding us about the vision, uh, I, I, it, we're going to recap it in, in some pieces. But the main idea of what we're talking about is how the Holy Spirit leads us to do this. Okay, so some, some big picture about the big picture as we move into the new year. And, and why we're pausing to look at it from Acts this morning instead of Exodus is because Acts and Exodus parallel each other really nicely. Uh, I know the Sunday school class has been walking through Exodus, but you guys did Acts fairly recently, and I think Bob preached through Acts a little bit when he was here. Um, and, and you guys are probably more familiar with Acts than with Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament, which we don't typically tend to preach on out of, which is the fault of us as pastors typically. But we love Acts because Acts is like, the game plan of the early church. Um, it, it's really more than that, which we'll get to, but Acts and Exodus both describe God forming his people, right? You, you see it in Exodus and him forming the nation of Israel, delivering them out of slavery, establishing before him, hey, what does it look like to be my people on earth? And you see the exact same narrative play out in Acts only this time it's with the church. So we're going to see a lot of the stuff we've seen in Exodus and Ephesians and Habakkuk and all the other books we've been reading the past six months. Uh, but now we get to see it anew from a different place with a different story, but same purpose in Acts. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 12, which may sound like a lot, but uh, guys, when you when you take a big chunk of scripture and you realize, man, the same thing is going on over and over and over again. I hope, I hope that we pick up on this this morning because sometimes when you just look at a couple verses, you can see a truth in that and, and it's good. But if you sometimes you see that same truth repeated four or five times, you go, this, this might be important for us to listen. So I encourage you to listen to see what sounds repetitive 
as we read through Acts chapter 1, verse 1 uh, through 2.12, and we'll unpack some of the things that repeat that are going to be important for us today. This is Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Okay, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned back to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and the company of persons was in all about 120, And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. And then Luke gives us this background on Judas. He says, now this man, being Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong there, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, which feels more appropriate to Halloween than today. But anyways, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. So now Peter is speaking to the group. He says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Chapter 2, almost done. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Hey, aren't are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is kind of the introduction to a book that spans a lot of time and a lot of missionary movements and a lot of people sharing the gospel, taking it forth to the nations. So it is important to understand what is going on right at the beginning. And guys, what we're going to discuss this morning, what we see from here, our main point is that God empowers the church with his Holy Spirit through the work of prayer to bear Christ's witness. So the, the movement that we trace throughout this section is that God is empowering the church with the Holy Spirit. He does so through the work of, of prayer. And he does this so that we may bear Christ's witness. If you look back at the beginning in Acts chapter 1, Luke begins with a little bit of background information. So those of you who have never heard of Acts this morning, Luke, Luke clues you in as to what he's trying to do in this letter. He begins by saying that Acts is a, a part two to his first book, which he wrote, the Gospel of Luke. And he says in verse 1 and 2 that the Gospel of Luke was to deal with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That, that Luke kind of chronicled all that Jesus did, all that Jesus taught, until this moment where he told the disciples, don't leave yet until you receive the Holy Spirit. And now, in the beginning of Acts, he says in verses 6 through 8, this, this conversation between Jesus and the disciples sets the stage for the rest of the book. And the disciples ask the question in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're doing is they're asking Jesus, basically, now what, Lord? We've, we've heard what you've said. We've heard what you desire to do. When is this going to happen? Right? This is a question you and I typically ask God. If you're like me, you ask it fairly often. Lord, I see this to be true. When are we going to see this? God, I know your word says this. When will we see this lived out? We, we love to ask the question, when? And Jesus gives his response to the disciples in verse 7 where he says, it's not for you to know when. It's not for you to know the times and seasons. But listen to what Jesus says will happen. What are they to focus on? You will receive power. This is in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And guys, right here, we get the purpose for why Luke is writing the book of Acts. And it's the first part of our main point this morning. God empowers the church with his Holy Spirit. That might not 
be that groundbreaking to some of you this morning, but I, I pray that we would receive this this morning. God empowers the church, empowers you and I, the believer, with his Holy Spirit, with himself literally dwelling within us. And the rest of the book of Acts then becomes the story of what does the Holy Spirit do in the lives of people who have received the Holy Spirit and who are letting him live it out. You see Jesus kind of teaching this to disciples. He says, you know, you need to wait to receive the Holy Spirit in verse 4. Then again in verse 8, he says, wait, you will receive power in the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus, interestingly enough, leaves. Right after telling them, you will receive power, he leaves. And, and the disciples are standing there very confused, forgetting that this actually fulfills what Jesus told them earlier. Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 16 that when he returns to the Father, they would be able to receive the Spirit. And guys, right here in verses 4 through 8, when Jesus leaves and he's telling them, wait to receive the Holy Spirit, you kind of see the fullness of what God desires of us as believers. What does his relationship with us look like? You see it. You see it coming to fruition. Where we're at in, old, in the Old Testament in Exodus, God has been making himself known to his people, right? We saw he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Now he's kind of communicating to Pharaoh and to all the Israelites through Moses that God the Father is, is on center stage. When you read through the gospel accounts, you see, okay, God has moved from God talking to his people to God living next to his people, alongside his people. That, that in the form of Jesus Christ, God literally was physically with us. But God says it gets even better because my plan is for me to leave and come back in the form of the Holy Spirit, that not only will I dwell around you and dwell next to you, I will dwell within you. Guys, that we truly, as, as Christians, as a church, as a body of people following Christ, we live empowered with the Spirit of God inside of us. And Jesus, as he's doing this, he's, he's showing it is impossible for you and I to fully bear God's image if we don't have him dwelling within us. We can't live as image bearers if we've not received the Holy Spirit. And it, it really kind of helps put into perspective the question the disciples ask, right, of when. The question that we ask God. When, God, are you going to be able to come and do this? The, the disciples are thinking more along the lines of, but Jesus, what do you want me to do? Right? When you and I ask the question, God, when are you going to make this happen? Typically, we ask the question, when, because we want to be able to get to work. Right? God, when are you going to do this? Because if I know July 23rd you're going to do this, I've got from now to July 23rd to, to get things in order to make sure that it happens. Right? We, we want to know when, why, how, some of these questions, because we want to be active in making it happen. Right? If, if you've said you're going to do this, Lord, then let me work with you to make this happen. And it, and it feels like, man, this, this is such a good desire, Jesus. How could you not tell the disciples when this is going to happen. And, and I, I had to receive this this week, church, because as, as, that, that's my tendency. My tendency is to ask God, God, I see that this is true in your word, but when is it going to happen 
so that I can, you know, partner with you to work to make it happen. And, and it, I just, I want to encourage you, if, if you think the same way that I do, then we together need to receive Jesus' answer in verses 7 and 8, where he says, it is not for you to know when. Because the Father has fixed that by his own authority. But here, here is what you are to do. Receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witness. I realize that it's a, the notion of sitting to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which we have at the beginning when we give our faith, when we place our faith in, in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we have him, but then he also does stir within us to do specific things at specific times, which is also illustrated in the book of Acts. It feels very passive at times for us, which is why it's, it's so hard for us to understand waiting for the Spirit to move. But I realized it, it really helps us understand who, who is the main character at work in, in the story. There was a, a study done from Lifeway that, uh, that showed, and it doesn't sound like it relates to this, but I promise it does. It, it showed that only 10% of students, so this is children and youth, 10% will surpass the faith of their parents. And so as a youth pastor, I used to think, man, my role is, is you know, trying to invest in the students and make sure they come to know the Lord. But, but then when you hear the statistic that of all that work you invest in those kids, only 10% of them are going to have a faith stronger than that of their parents, then you realize, man, maybe, maybe my role as a student minister is more to pour into the parents, right? Because the kids are not going to surpass that of what the parents have. And, and, and the study was talking about how the, the reason this is, is often true is because the parents aren't giving the students what they need spiritually. And often it's because the parents don't have it themselves. And so how that gets them reflected in the church is about the same way. That we have people in the church who are spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, those who have maybe been a Christian for a long period of time. And, and I'm not saying the 10% thing is necessarily applicable to that. But, but in essence, if those who are younger in the faith don't have people ahead who, are, who they can look up to that are investing and growing themselves man, then we as a church have nothing to turn around and, and to give them. And it, it's interesting to me because while I feel like the work of waiting to receive the Holy Spirit is a very passive thing, and, and the work of seeing where the Spirit is at work and where, where can I go invest and where can I be living life in the Spirit, while that feels passive, I realize if I don't do it, I have nothing to give to somebody else. I may be able to give them things to do. I may be able to leave them like legacies of, of acts and ministries and things to do. But all of that has to come from somewhere. And if I have not left somebody with Christ, then I have not really truly left them with anything. This is why our mission here at the church is a community on mission submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. Guys, that what we want to do together is to receive the work 
of the Holy Spirit in us and to, to live it out. And that requires us to be submitted to Christ and committed to doing what Jesus desires of us, which is disciples making disciples. And if we do this ourselves first, we do believe, hey, then we will be able to pass that on to others. Uh, it was why I, I shared with the leadership team uh, in mid-December and said, we're going to spend some time working through this, a, a personal kind of annual review and a personal discipleship plan, right? Because if, if we are not doing it ourselves first, if we are not receiving it, if we are not living it out, how, how can we lead other people in doing it likewise. Our, our goal in, in vision casting, and we've tried to reflect this, and the mission is, is, not, is not just to get you guys to do more things with your time or your life. The Spirit may lead you to do that, okay? But, but the goal truly is who are we becoming? Who, not necessarily the doing, but the, the being. So in, in our vision casting, guys, what we, what we are after is how can we be in God's presence more so that we can be his image bearer to the world. Because we understand who is doing the work, the Holy Spirit. And if we understand who is doing the work, then we can ask the question, so how do we participate in this work? And, and this is something that Luke also records in this chapter. I, you know, I asked you guys at the beginning, pay attention to what, what sounds like it's repeating, and, and I, I, I should have told you, but... It's a very, it seems like a minor detail that's being repetitive. But if you guys notice it, it comes up a couple of times. They come together, and when they come together, they are praying. That what God has actually left them to do in this season of waiting, waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, is to pray. That if the Holy Spirit is the main character, the way we align ourselves with the work the Holy Spirit is doing is through prayer. The second part of our main point, God empowers the church with the Holy Spirit through the work of prayer. In verses 12 through 26 in Acts chapter 1, you see that the apostles are together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They are devoting themselves to prayer. The Greek word devoting is like this is the goal of what they are doing. This is why they are together. They, they are they're together to pray, right? They are passionately together to pray. And it's interesting because you see this in response to Jesus tells them, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he leaves them. And their response to this is to gather together to pray. And guys, as they do that in verses 12 through 26, you see something happen. You see the Holy Spirit show up, and it enables Peter to understand the word of God. Peter stands up, he says, guys, we've seen some things happen, and I realize that actually fulfills Old Testament prophecy in the book of Psalms. If you're reading through the book of Psalms and you stumble across these verses, uh, Psalm 69.25, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And the next one, uh, Psalm 109.8, let another take his office. You probably aren't reading that in the Old Testament and applying it to say, oh, that's Judas. But here you see a picture of the people gathered together, devoted to prayer, and one of them goes, oh my gosh, this is what the scripture was talking about. And then right after that, you see him say, so this is what we ought to do with it. They gathered together and they realize somebody has to take Judas's place and, and as God 
divinely showed them. They put forward two men. They cast lots. But guys, what is taking place is as they are gathered to pray, they are enabled to understand the scripture and to know how to live it out. I mean, what a, what a blessing that as the people gather to pray, God shows up. And he enables them to understand his word and know how to live it out. We see the same picture in chapter 2 in the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They have continually been gathering, devoting themselves to prayer. And in this prayer gathering together, the Holy Spirit arrives. And he fills them and he empowers them to do everything that Jesus had said earlier. And just to give you guys a couple snapshots that this picture continues out in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. After hearing the gospel message, they come to Peter. They ask Peter what to do, and he leads them to pray through repentance and asking for the forgiveness of their sins. And they receive the Holy Spirit. There's five or six instances in the first four chapters of Acts where people come and they lay their hands on them and they pray, the apostles pray, and they receive the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, you see it's on their way to a prayer gathering that they go to every single day. The apostles are led by the Spirit to stop and to notice a man who sits at the front of the temple every single day they pass by him. But for some reason, that day the Holy Spirit leads them to perform a miracle in healing him. You see in chapter 3, verse 19, through all the way into chapter 4, another instance of the gospel being shared, another instance of praying to receive repentance in the Holy Spirit. You see in the last half of Acts chapter 4, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles before the Sanhedrin so that they again share the gospel, and after they are set free from being imprisoned for a time, they pray to give glory to God. This is just the first four chapters of Acts. Okay, Acts goes on for a lot of the New Testament, but it is picture after picture after picture after picture of people gathering to do the work of prayer and the Holy Spirit coming and empowering them to do whatever it is that God desires of them to do. We, I mentioned earlier, I, I think it is really hard for us to grasp this because prayer feels very passive. Um, it, it, there's moments with, when me, when, when you hear of something that somebody's going through, and you're like, okay, I can pray for you, but I so badly want to, to step in and fix the problem. I so badly want to, to fill whatever needs you have, and, and you have the the burning within you where prayer almost doesn't feel like it's enough at times. And, and, and guys, the, the book of Acts shows prayer is anything but a passive work. Prayer is, is, is not passive. Prayer is not just the work before the real work, right? Like we're just supposed to pray before we then go and do some things. It doesn't describe prayer as a, a passive work or the work before the work. It doesn't describe prayer as a gift that only a couple people have, right? Like, well, theirs is the gift of prayer, so they pray. Mine is the gift to go serve, so I serve. Certainly there, there are people who are gifted to pray on behalf of others, and there are people who are mighty prayer warriors, but, but that is not just for them to be doing. Luke ties the work of prayer in with the work of living in the Spirit. That we cannot expect to be living as the Spirit leads if we are not a people 
invested in the work of prayer. This is what Luke shows in chapter 1. This is what Luke shows in chapter 2. This is all throughout the entire book of Acts. And guys, I want to share with you just a a practical way this looks. The, The very first thing that Abigail and I did when we came to the church, a work that I don't know that anybody sees, and that's okay, is, is we pray for you guys every week. We, we come up here on Mondays. The kids run around in the nursery for about 15, 20 minutes, and Abigail and I just pray. And one of the things I asked the leadership team to do is there, there happened to be seven of us at this moment, and I asked each one of them to take a different day of the week. They don't have to come up here in person, but, but to pray. That, that we see that prayer and life in the Spirit are, are so intertwined that Luke, Luke doesn't even make any effort to separate. In fact, every, every chance he gets to talk about the Holy Spirit at work, Luke shows how people have been praying. If these two go so tightly together, this, this is the work that we want to invest in. Prayer reminds us that the Holy Spirit, again, is the main character. The life of us as Christians, Christ followers, is, is of laying down our life so we take up the life of another. And, and, and when, you, when you are approaching God in prayer, you are realizing just how little our, our life is about us and what we are capable of doing. So this is hopefully reflected in our, our vision language because we, we've tried to, again, not make it so much works-oriented but transformation-focused. So our, the, who are we becoming as disciples of Christ? If, if all of who we are is living in the Spirit and is coming to God in prayer, if it's tied together, then we, we say we want to be devoted, developing, deployed followers of Jesus Christ. Then when we talk about being disciples, this, this is what we mean. Devotion. We're, we're in prayer, developing. We're, we're living in the Spirit, deployed. The Spirit is leading us to live as He sees fit. And our vision of how we become this is to be loving as Christ, learning from Christ, and living in Christ. Our discipleship definition and our vision, we've tried to model after this. Because as churches and as individuals, the measure of our life in the Holy Spirit is determined by the work we do in prayer. If our prayer life is lacking, folks, our life in the Holy Spirit will will certainly be lacking. And as we understand the the connection between the two, now we understand, so what is it we go do? And this is why Jesus, he tells them, look, it's not for you to worry about the when, okay? The Holy Spirit surely has this work in mind. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to do what? To be my witnesses. And Jesus clarifies, he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus shows us this, the last part of our main point this morning. God empowers the church with the Holy Spirit. We, we, we live this through the work of prayer. And ultimately what ends up happening is we bear his witness. We, we bear the testimony of who Christ is and what he has done for us before all of Creation. The, the Greek phrase here that talks about being a witness is one that is, is total life-encompassing. I mean, the Greek language just had a way of describing when something was all-consuming, that it was more than just a, a sharing of a verbal testimony, right? Which, of, of course, is part of it as a witness, but it speaks to the whole of how everybody lives, 
And you see that as Jesus gives this command in chapter 1, it gets fulfilled in chapter 2. Then when the Holy Spirit comes, all the disciples are filled with the Spirit. This is verse 4. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you learn from verses 7 through 11 that, that this tongues is other languages. That it just so happens that the Holy Spirit comes right when Jews from all over the world are gathered together right around them, and they hear this loud noise, the Holy Spirit rushing into the place where they're gathered, and all these Jews from all over the world show up at the feet of the apostles going, what just happened? We heard a noise. We saw something funky. What is going on here? And at that moment, all of them are empowered to bear Christ's witness. That, that chapter 1, verse 8, is literally being fulfilled, chapter 2, verse 4. And this is, this is the story of the entire book of Acts, guys, that, that as these, these men and these women were filled with the Holy Spirit, they go and they bear witness. And you read through all the different chapters, all these missionary journeys, all these accounts of healing, all these accounts of gospel being shared, all of the growth comes when the church received the Holy Spirit, and engaged with the Spirit in the work of prayer, man, the Spirit took them on a wild ride. This is why the language that we've used in our values here at the church is, is trying to get us to say, okay, what does it look like for us to live out the Holy Spirit? We, we see scripture places like, what does the fruit of the Spirit look like? So practically, how does that change who we are? And, and we we tried to reflect several statements of these in, in our values. So we said, look, if, if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, what does that look like as our life? We want to value Christ as our life, value reconciliation to God and others, value sharing and experiencing God, value transformational unity in Christ, value the image of God in ourselves and others, and value the power of prayer. And so as we close this morning, I just want to share with you a, a few ways that this will hopefully shape our ministry in 2022. And again, these are big picture ideas for us to take and, and unpack and run in our personal lives and in our ministry here at the church. But I believe it, it means we're going to pursue relational growth. Guys, we, we want people to come to know life in Christ. And we understand if we want that to happen, we have to be coming and growing to life in Christ ourselves. So we, we are planning to start a, a network of small groups um, that me and the leadership team will be talking about a little bit in the next couple of meetings with the goal of hopefully starting in, in February at some point. But a, a network of, of place where we can continue to build off of what happens here on Sundays, but a, a place where we can continue to get to know one another, to get to bring people in, to get to know you guys. All of this with the thought that we will grow in Christ-likeness and in showing Christ-likeness to one another. The, the small group community provides us a space to relate together, to study the word together, fellowship together, pray together. And our relationships with our other members and with our friends and people in the community we bring in, hopefully, guys, then we will be able to grow in life with Christ together. Means we're we're not only going to pursue relational growth. We want to measure success in terms of Christ likeness, and that that is tough as an engineer to tell you because my my world and training is in numbers 
and in formulas and in plug this in here, get this answer. Very quantitative. I still don't know how you quantitatively measure Christ likeness. But I'm, I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm seeing, man, if, if the goal of what Christ was after was for us to bear his witness, then that ought to be the standard by which we decide, hey, is, is something working or not? If, are, we, are we able to reproduce the life of Christ in others by whatever we are, we're doing? And the, really, the way that we know whether we are living out Christ or not is we have to live life together. Right? It's easy if we only see each other once a week to put forth whatever face we want other people to see. But man, in, in rubbing elbows together and serving together and in, in eating together and going to watch a movie together and grabbing coffee together, it, there's not necessarily a formula for this, but in living life together, you get to see the life of Christ exhibited in someone else. You get to be encouraged by the life of Christ. So, so this requires us to live together, which I, I hope, well, I mean, some of us will live together under the same roof. I'm not necessarily saying we all have to move in together, but you, you understand what I'm saying. And lastly, guys, it means that we have to remain content in uncertainty. Sanctification, which is the big fancy word for this kind of ongoing transformation we go through, it is a messy work. It, it is a daily work where you and I are having to reject an old nature, and to take on the nature that has been given to us through Christ. So we're, we're constantly going to be aware of where we don't want to be, where we want to be going, the fact that we're not quite there yet, and, and there's moments where physically the only thing we might be able to do is to pray, to be able to go before God and say, God, I don't want to be like this. I see I'm supposed to be like this. I don't really even know how to get there right now, Lord, but I see this to be true, God, and I, I, I bring this to you. And guys, when we live content in uncertainty, that those moments where all we can do is pray, those aren't moments that we, we, we hope don't happen often. Those aren't seasons that we try to rush to get out of. We, we cherish and we value the sweet seasons of quiet, still internal growth, along with the ones of external, visible growth that we believe God does have in store. And we do all of this, guys, because we, we truly realize God empowers the church with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character at work. The way that we align and partner with the Holy Spirit. It starts with prayer. Prayer is the work that we undertake to align ourselves with the Spirit. And we do, the, the goal of, of why we do all this is to bear Christ's witness. So I want to share two ways we can respond and then the, the praise team can come back up. Um, because as, as I was reading through this and studying this, there were, there were two gut feelings that hit me, and I wanted to share them with you because you, you may have a similar gut feeling and just encourage you how to pray through that this week. Um, your gut may be saying, this is a really odd vision casting, that you're, you're kind of setting forth a big picture, and, and it, the nuts and bolts don't seem to quite be there yet. Okay, like there's some things we want to do and some things we will be starting to do with, with small groups and uh, developing some other ministries that we've uh, we've got formulating in my head, but you know, it just doesn't feel fully formed. Okay, I I hear that, and if that's your gut reaction to this, guys, then then you may be in the same place that I am, where 
you, you are constantly having to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I see this to be true in your word. I'm not entirely sure how we are going to be doing this or God, if there is something for me to be doing right now other than letting you work in your Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, if, if that is where your gut is sitting today, then bring this to the Lord in prayer. Guys, my, my, my hope and why we have preached through so many different places in Scripture in the past six months. Uh, we've been in Ephesians, Habakkuk, a couple of the Gospels, right now in Exodus, covering a little bit of Acts this morning, is hopefully we are hearing the same thing but seeing it from a wide variety of Scripture so that we start to understand maybe this really is what God is after because he put it all over his word. So maybe, maybe we need to ask God to grow our, our trust and perseverance in this. And for some, I also want to encourage you, you, you may be newer in your faith in the life of a Christian. You may be older in your faith in the life of a Christian, but this just kind of sounds different than you know, maybe how a, the Christian life, Christianity was presented to you, where you're like, it sounds like you're talking about a lot more life transformation stuff than a maybe a more practical thing of, you know, I, these are statements I need to believe, and then that means I do these certain things. It, it sounds a little bit less practical than maybe what I'm used to hearing. And, and guys, I want to encourage you, if that is also your gut reaction today, to also bring that to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I am hearing and understanding from your word that what you desire of me is to be transformed by your Holy Spirit through what Jesus did on the cross. That is, that is messy. That is ongoing. That is that's something that's never really complete this side of heaven. So to be able to measure it feels really difficult, Lord. And guys, if however your gut is feeling with this this morning, bring it before the Lord in prayer because he, again, as we're seeing, when we go before him in prayer, the Holy Spirit shows up and he does indeed lead us to work. Father, as the band um, comes forward to continue leading us in worship, I, Lord, I, I was reading through prayers in church history this morning, and, and Father, I want to, to pray one uh, on behalf of me and, and our, our family today, Lord, that it just, it hits home, Lord. So, so hear this and accept this of us. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Father, we, we lift this up to you wanting to trust your word, wanting to believe in who you say you are, not always knowing how to do that or what that looks like, and, and Lord, knowing that that is not always an easy thing to do. But we see this to be true in your word. Father, we want this to be true in our lives. May we grow as people 
of prayer that we may be truly people in your spirit. In your name we pray, amen.